friends. Um, thanks for coming out on a cold and rainy night right before spring break. Um, hey, so tonight we're actually doing a little bit of a detour from our normal series just because um, I want to look at a psalm together. And so we're going to look at tonight Psalm 32. Um, so if you want to follow along in the Pew Bible or you want to follow along on your phone or your Bible, Psalm 32 is what we're looking at. And here's what, so what you need to know why we read Psalm 51, Psalm 51, Psalm 32, uh, or what we call penitential Psalms. Um, They both, David wrote them both. If you know the life of David, he has this really horrible affair with Bathsheba. And these Psalms are his, really his songs to God as he realizes the depth of what he's done, as he realizes his sin. And as he looks to God for grace and forgiveness. And so Psalm 51 is the one that's a little more famous than Psalm 32. But I want to look at Psalm 32 tonight because I think Psalm 32 answers this weird question. And it also clears up, I think, something that maybe we don't typically get or understand about Christianity. The question it answers is where is real joy found? Um, It's a question we just got back from Disney. Uh, I don't know if I mentioned that last week. I took my family for the first time. It's the happiest place on earth. And I wasn't so sure on day one, but by day four, I bought my goofy hat and I was very sure it was amazing. Um, But it's not joy, right? We know it's an escape from normal life and it's not the real world. So where is real joy found? And I think the answer of Psalm 32 is not something that maybe you or I think about when we think about what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a Christian, because the answer David gives is that genuine, lasting joy is found in the life of repentance. Repentance, what is repentance? It's a realization and an acknowledgement, an admission of the sin that that I do, that I struggle with, and yet a turn to the Lord, not just for forgiveness, but for newness of life. And that's where David says joy is found. So let's look at Psalm 32 together. Here's what David said. He said, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. And I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my son. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Let me pray for us, and let's dive in for a little bit together tonight. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this psalm. Um, We thank you, Lord, that in the Psalms and in this Psalm, not only do we get um, words and a voice to maybe to use for ourselves, to to cry out to you, 
um, to confess to you or to bring our sin to you. The things that, if we're being honest, um, that bring us shame, that are a genuine struggle and sometimes we, we hide and cover from one another and we don't take them or confess them to you. So Lord, may that psalm be that for us tonight. May we use it to give voice and confess the things that are not right in us and the things that that we've done that are not good and right and true. Lord, I pray that it would not only be that, but would you show us from this psalm that the way that you met David is still the way that you meet us. Lord, you know our son. It's not news to you. And yet you move toward us with this incredible love and grace and kindness and forgiveness and mercy. And Lord, we need all of that and more, and we need it eternally. So Lord, would you meet us in that way tonight? We ask these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. So that's what I want to talk about tonight, is I think David, in this moment of real shame, in this moment, he talks about in the psalm the heaviness of unconfessed sin, right? He, he uses those images of like being in the heat of summer without anything to drink and just feeling like he's dying on the inside. He uses the imagery of drowning, feeling like he's lost complete control. He uses the imagery of, of all of his strength being gone, of feeling crushed in spirit. And what I want to do is, is see what David does with his son, because I think it's meant, like at the end of the psalm, this is meant as not just um, hope for us, but as instruction for us, is what do we do with our son? There's a show that I've loved, probably my favorite show in the last couple of years, called Fleabag. And in the very first episode, she has this moment where she's sort of in this, just kind of living this out-of-control life with drink and sex and drugs and all that kind of stuff. And she has this moment where she shows up in a drunken state at her dad's doorstep. They have this estranged relationship. But she's, as her dad answers the door and kind of is, you know, it's 4 a.m. in the morning, here's what she says to him, because I think there's something that is similar to what David is doing in the psalm. She says to her dad, she says, I have a horrible feeling that I am a greedy, perverted, selfish, apathetic, cynical, depraved, morally bankrupt woman who can't even call herself a feminist. And there's this moment of real confession. She's saying, this is who I am. What do I do with it? And I think in Psalm 32, David shows us what to do with it. What, what do we do with our sin? What do we do with those things that we know are wrong in us or that we've done that are wrong? And I think it's two movements, two movements that really are the gospel. And the two movements are simply this. The first thing David does is, is what we're just going to call it, he admits his guilt. He goes before the Lord and he says, this is who I am. And the second movement that we're going to talk about is that, and then the second movement is God's movement, is that David is met with God's grace and he accepts God's grace. Those are the two things I want to talk about tonight. So first, let's think for a little bit about the admission of his guilt. And what David does is beautiful is he uses every word in his native tongue, which is Hebrew, to describe himself as a sinner. Because that's a word that I think if you grew up in the church, you know that word, sinner. But sometimes I think if you're like me, I'm like, what does that even mean? And I think Psalm 32 gives us a really full picture of what sin is and what it does. And I just want to look at that. David uses essentially four words to describe his sin, and here's, here's what they are. The first one in verse 1 is that word transgression, which in the Hebrew means willful or deliberate rebellion. Willful or deliberate rebellion. Um, Isaiah put it like this in Isaiah 1. He said, the Lord is saying to his people, children have I reared and brought up but they have rebelled against me. 
there is a willfulness and a rebelliousness in our sin. The way that I think about it is I like to think about what is the worst thing that you ever did to your parents? Mine is really easy. My parents, in the kind of midst of their divorce, my mom kept trying to get me to go to Christian counseling. And I was like, no, I'm not going to some Christian counselor to talk about my anger, which was, I'm a seventh grader at this point. She keeps bugging me about it, saying we're going to counseling. And I'm like, no, I'm not. You can go to counseling. I'm not going to counseling. She's like, we're going. And I'm like, no. And this one moment, she's like persisted, persisted, persisted. So I finally reached into my closet and I was still playing baseball at the time. And I grabbed this Easton baseball bat and I held it up to my mom. And I said, I'm not going anywhere. And my mom, obviously, tears ran out of the room. And I'm like, what did I just do? But when I think about that image, that is an image of what sin is in us. It's we're looking at God saying, you don't tell me what to do. I will go my own way. I will do my own thing. And David says, that's me. I find willful, deliberate rebellion in my heart and in my spirit. The second word he uses, again, verse one, is just that word sin, which in in the Hebrew, it means to miss the mark or to fall short. To miss the mark or fall short. You know, if if you're a Baptist, you know the Romans road of salvation. And you probably could quote to me Romans 3, 23, that all have fallen short, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I think that's a helpful way to think about it is think about it like this, that part of what sin is in us is we're not what we're supposed to be. So the way that I can do it is I can say, I've not been the husband that I should be. I've not been the father that I should be. I've not been the campus minister or the pastor that I should be. I've not been the son that I should be. I've not been the brother that I should be. I've not been the friend that I should be. I certainly was not the roommate that I should have been. Uh, One time over Christmas, my roommate from sophomore year, he was like, do you know why it was so hard to live with you? I mean, he was saying it like in a nice way, but I was like, I mean, I knew I was hard to live with. I slept all the time. He would like set up alarm clocks just to try to get me out of bed. And I was like, I could sleep through anything. But he's like, every time I'd come home, he's like, number one, I, I was the only one that bought groceries. And number two, he said, I don't know if you remember this, and I didn't, which was more embarrassing. But he was like, every time I brought home groceries, I would buy a gallon of milk. And the first thing you would do would be get out of bed or get off the couch and just open that milk and pour yourself a full glass. And I was like, Ugh. yeah, that was me. But David is saying, I, you know, in David's case, he's not been the husband he should be. He's not been the king that he should have been. He's not been the leader he should have been. He's not been the shepherd of God's people that he should have been. And David is saying, that's me. The third word he uses is that word iniquity. And that's an interesting one because it means to be twisted or bent out of shape. That part of what sin does is it mangles us and it malforms us. And we need God to set us straight. Part of healing and part of sanctification and growth in the Christian life is being healed and kind of set straight. Um, The way that Ezekiel said it like this, in Ezekiel 16, he said, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. In other words, the way that Luther would say it, Martin Luther, is he would say what we're supposed to be, what it means to be being made in God's image, is we are supposed to be curved outward in love to God and love to one another. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. But what sin does to us is it curves us inward on ourselves, where all I care about is me, and all you care about is you. Um, I mean, I, I like to tell my kids, I'm like, this is like, you, my kids are into the, my son is into the Marvel stuff, the Star Wars stuff, just superhero stuff. And I like to think we all have a superpower. I have a superpower. You have a superpower. And it's the ability to make anything about you. And for me, it's the ability to make anything about myself. And there's a scene in C.S. Lewis. I'm a little bit of a C.S. Lewis nerd. When I first became a Christian, I tried to read everything. Uh, Narnia I've mentioned, but I tried my best, like right as I started RUF, to do the Space Trilogy, which is like for true C.S. Lewis nerds. And I didn't get very far, I'll be honest with you. I was like, don't love sci-fi. I do like reading sometimes. Anyways, but I made it far enough in the, in the opening, I don't remember what it was called, but there was a scene in the opening, the first book of that trilogy, where these greedy men, if you know this, you don't know the story, so let me just read, maybe some of you do, talk to me after. But the story is these greedy men go to space and the, the beings in, the, in this other world don't know why they're there. And it becomes clear they've come to try to um, steal the resources from their planet, take them back to Earth and become super rich. And so this being who's kind of like the Aslan, but a space alien version, his name is Oyarsa. And he finally, he sees through these men and he calls them to his council. And Lewis in this line is Oyarsa is describing these humans. He says, there is a bentness in the human race. There is a bentness where you and I, what sin means, what it does in us is it makes us bent in on ourselves and selfish in ways we don't care to admit. And then the fourth word David uses, and this is the trickier one, is he uses that word in verse two, deceit, which you know, it just means duplicity or dishonesty or pretense, or for a lot of us, just the double life thing. It's amazing. I was just uh, grabbing lunch with a student an old student, my first ever student that I met with at Georgia Southern. And it's funny because like the first ever meeting we did, I've never done this again because I learned, like I literally went to grab Japanese and I was like, I don't know what to do in a one-on-one. And so we sit down and I like literally brought a Bible and I was like, okay, now let's turn to Psalm one. And we had this like awkward moment of like, he was playing, he didn't know what to do. And I was just like plowed through as we're eating our hibachi. And I was like, that was a little bit awkward. Anyways, but we were, we were like reminiscing today that his sophomore year, the, the most beautiful moment of his life is some of our leadership students, he was on our leadership team, but they go to this pool and they just find him there and he is just beyond drunk. But he's like beyond drunk trying to share the gospel with this, with this, with this girl. With the, I'm sorry. With this girl there. And like they, they did, you know, they were super gracious with it. They weren't, they didn't try to embarrass him or anything, but it was a moment for him that woke him up out of the double life thing that is so common in college, right? You're here at RUF, you do this on Thursday nights, but what's your, you know, Friday night like, your Tuesday night like, your whatever night like. And David is saying, deceit is in me. I didn't realize even what I was doing. Um, the way that another psalmist says it, Psalm 101, the Lord says, No one who practices deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. The Lord takes our deceit really seriously. And part of the Spirit's work in our lives is to make us undeceived about ourselves. Uh, that's why I just, a guy that I like to follow on Twitter, he calls repentance a face palm. Repentance is that face palm moment where you realize, what am I doing? Like, who am I? 
what have I done? Um, I think about Breaking Bad. Part of, uh, Breaking Bad is one of my favorite shows, and part of why I love Breaking Bad is you get to watch. I don't know of another show where you get to watch this kind of decent human being who's a high school teacher really transform into this crazy, scary, awful drug dealer. And Vince Gilligan, the creator of the show, he was talking about Walter White, and here's what he said about him. I love what he says in an interview. He said, I don't think he's an evil man. He is an extremely self-deluded man. We always say in the writer's room, if Walter White has a true superpower, it's not his knowledge of chemistry or his intellect. It's his ability to lie to himself. He is the world's greatest liar. He could lie to the Pope. He could lie to Mother Teresa. He certainly could lie to his family, and he can lie to himself. And he makes these lies stick. He can make himself believe in the face of all contrary evidence that he is still a good man. It really does feel to us like a natural progression down this road to hell, which was originally paved with good intentions. It's interesting that student I met with today, he said, here's, because I was like, what was that like for you? That sort of double life part of, you know, part of college for you. And he said, oh, here's how it went. He said, I live with guys that were worse than me. And I always thought, as long as I'm better than them, then I'm fine. And he's like, I was just so deceived because that's not even what the Christian life is. And so David is using all these four words to say one thing about himself. He's saying this, I am more sinful than I know. I am more sinful than I care to admit. I am more sinful than my ability to even save myself from. But then the thing that I want you to see is how God meets him and the assurance of God's grace. Because I think if we were to stop here, it'd be, I, hope, I hope pretty depressing, pretty depressing to me. Just sort of, you came to RUF and you got called a sinner. And you're like, all right, cool, cool. Happy spring break, guys. Go in peace, you sinners. But God meets him in this profound way. And what I love about Psalm 32, it's my favorite thing about Psalm 32, is God has four words too. The way this psalm goes is every word that David says, God meets him with a greater word, the greater word of grace, the greater word of forgiveness and mercy. Look at it for a second. Verse one, he forgives David transgressions. Literally, he removes them or carries them away, which is why I love Psalm 103, where the, the psalmist says, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove his transgressions from us. I have one friend who likes to say, as far as one top of a CVS receipt to the bottom of a CVS receipt, he, rem- <laughs> he removes our sins from us. But he does. He removes them. He doesn't, in other words, he does not hold them over us. Some of you have parents who hold your sins over you, and they remind you of them. Some of you have friends that love to hold your sins over you and remind you of them. They're not friends. But God is not like that. He removes them as far as east is from the west, David says. God says to David. Two, he covers his sin, which simply means he conceals or provides for. There's a beautiful image in Micah 7 where here's how Micah says it. He says, he will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot and he will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. It always makes me think of when I drive, I grew up in Sumter, South Carolina, and um, would drive, there's a, a road called Screaming Eagle Road that is just like the shortcut to Sumter, and it's a beautiful road because cops are never on it, so you can just go as fast as you want, you know, within reason, but the only downside is you always pass a landfill, 
It's that landfill that's kind of in no man's land in that bone screaming eel road. And I'm telling you, every time, it doesn't matter if you switch your, your air from like fresh air to recycled air, it doesn't, doesn't matter. You're gonna smell that landfill because it's just so much trash that's just covered with all this dirt. And I think about how the Lord says that we now have the aroma of Christ, that our sins, our, our, our stuff, our trash, our sin is so covered by the blood of Jesus that God says about us, we have the pleasing aroma. If you are in Christ, you have the pleasing aroma, not, of, not the disgusting smell, the sewer smell of your sin and my sin, but the pleasing aroma of the love of Jesus. And David keeps going. God keeps going. His third word is he doesn't count our iniquity. He doesn't keep a record of our sin. This is, think with me about this for a second. He does not keep a record of our sin. I keep a record of my sin. I keep a record of people's sins against me. I keep a record of other people's sins to make myself feel better. Uh, so again, Psalm 130, the psalmist says it like this, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who, who could stand before you? And the answer is none of us. I think it's an interesting, you know, I, don't, I mean, even me, like I'm, I'm doing this, I'm on this weight loss journey and, you know, I'm like tracking my stuff and I'm not, I don't know. I mean, it's like, is it healthy? Is it not healthy? I don't know. We live in a culture that is obsessed with, with tracking and counting. We wear things on our bodies. Like we're in Disney and Alyssa's like, oh, we've done 20,000 steps today. I'm like, okay, we probably have. That was a lot of walking. But the Lord and his, the way he relates to our sin is he doesn't keep a record of it. He does not track or count our iniquity against us. And then David, the fourth word that God has for David is he gives David a right spirit. In other words, he gives them a spirit of honesty and of humility. He gives him a spirit that is not self-deceived, that can be real about himself. That's why we read Psalm 51, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I have a friend who he went to counseling with his wife for marriage counseling, and he said he, he was asked maybe the best question he's ever been asked he said, I want you to, to go home. This was a, like a one-on-one session. He said, I want you to go home and I want you to ask your wife this question. What is it like to be in a relationship with me? This would be a good question for like your friends, your roommates, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. What is it like to be in a relationship with me? And I think part of what the, the Spirit does in us is he reveals to us what it's like to be in a relationship with ourselves. But God is saying, I'm going to create the spirit of honesty and humility to let you see. Because here's the thing. If you don't believe in grace, hear this. If you don't believe in grace, you will never have the freedom to ask this kind of question and to be honest about your son, to do what Luther called dare to be a sinner. He wasn't saying keep on sinning. He was saying dare to admit what you've done. You will never do that unless you have a God who has more grace in him than you or I have sin in us. I'll close with this. Uh, well, four words for God to say one thing, that his grace is always greater than your sin. I'll close with this. Uh, Les Mis, you know the scene. Maybe you don't, but it's this, my favorite scene in Les Mis is 
If you know the story of Jean Valjean, he uh, has that moment where he steals the candlesticks, but he experiences the, the grace of the priest, and it really changes him, and he reforms his life, and he goes on to live this really pure, righteous life. But Javert is trying to find him and trying to kind of, you know, take him to prison. And there's that scene where Javert finds the man he thinks is Valjean and Valjean gets word of it. And Valjean has that moment where he's like, what do I do with this? And he, of course, (laughs) breaks out into song, at least in the movie. But it's that song, Who Am I? And I love it because here's how it goes. He says, Who am I? Can I conceal myself forevermore? Pretend I'm not the man I was before? And must my name until I die be no more than an alibi? Must I lie? How can I ever face my fellow men? How can I ever face myself again? My soul belongs to God. I know I made that bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength to carry on. And there's that scene that I love. It's the only tattoo I've ever wanted because it's that scene where he starts to unbutton his shirt, right? You know what? He like rips his shirt and like, I don't have the body to do a tattoo, but I'm working on it. But he does his shirt and it's 24601. Who am I? Two four six zero one. I'm Jean Valjean, and this is prison numbers. In Psalm thirty two, this is what repentance is. This is the face palm of repentance. Is this going before God and saying, "This is who I am." Lord, is your grace enough for me? And the resounding answer of Psalm thirty two is yes, and then some. My grace is not only great great enough to cover those things you don't want to be honest about but it's great enough to cover those things you don't even know that you're struggling with. And that's the grace that we find in Psalm 32, and it's the grace that leads us. That's why Paul says in Romans 2, it's the kindness of God. It's a God like this who has more grace in him than you have sin in you that you'll ever dare to live a life of repentance. Because the thing is, to be a Christian doesn't mean you don't sin. You do, and more than you think you do. To be a Christian means you know the grace that leads you to repentance, and you know where to take your son, and you know how to go to the Lord and say, Lord, show me what repentance looks like. And that's the question for you and for me, is what does repentance need to look like for you tonight? What are you afraid to take to the Lord? What are you holding on to that you think is giving you life that's not, that's stealing life from you and joy from you? And what would it look like for you to take it to Jesus and say, Jesus, this is who I am. And would you lead me in the way of repentance? Would you change me? Would you help me change? And that's the question for you and for me. Let's pray together. Lord, that is a hard question, I confess. It's a question that is scary, even um, I know to me. And so, Lord, but I, but I pray, Lord, that you would show us that, that we can do this before you because your love is strong enough and deep enough and trustworthy enough that we know the moment we dare like David to confess our sin to you is the same moment that you meet us with those four beautiful words of what you do with sin. And we know, Lord, that you took our sin, Lord Jesus, to the cross that we might know the grace of forgiveness. And Lord, I pray that we might know that in a way tonight in our lives that really does change us. Would you show us where we need to repent and would you give us the grace to do it? We are hopeless and helpless apart from you. But would you do that by your spirit in us? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and sing the doxology.